I don't need to like make myself something that I'm not just for the sake of being hired somewhere. And uh, people will hire me for who I am rather than how who I'm trying to be. It made me realize like, oh, I should do more of this and not try to fit a certain look because that's what everyone likes and just help me believe in myself more. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozolanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Samia Khalif. She is a Palestinian Lebanese artist working as a senior concept artist at Phenomena. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you, Yuki and Ray, for having me. I'm yeah. really excited oh. to be here virtually. Uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Kuwait and mm. my summers were spent in Jordan, Lebanon and Syria, just like road tripping and I have family all over. And then when I graduated high school, I wanted to do art. But at the same time, I was really good in like science and all this. So it was kind of like expected of me to become a doctor. Usually in the Middle East, you're like either a doctor or engineer. Anything mm-hmm. else is kind of lower level. And then <laughs> I just felt like, oh, my God, I need I need something with drawing. But I also like don't mind being a doctor because that's what I have to do. And then mm-hmm. I made this deal with my dad that I will apply both to medicine school and animation school. And whatever I get first, I will take it and we'll both be happy and no arguments after that. <laughs> I <don't>. Whoa. <laughs> Wow. It was very risky, but I don't know. I just felt it deep inside. I was like, I need to do this. Uh And then I guess my dad didn't think that I was going to get like acceptance letter all the way from the US and I was just going to be accepted at the medicine school in Jordan. Anyways, I never heard from that medicine school. I got my application approved at West Valley College. I was like... Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was going to ask, like, did you end up getting accepted in medical school? And you were just like, no, the American one came first. That, <laughs> oh, they, no, they, they answered didn't, first. They didn't even respond. <laughs> and I was like, cool, I'm not going to even check with them. I'm good. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> After I finished, like, the GE at West Valley, I actually had no idea about the animation program at San Jose State. But my dad was like, oh, I went there for engineering 30 oh. or 40. 40 years ago, I don't know, whenever he went there. And he was like, why don't you just see if they have animation? Okay. And I look and I was like, oh, cool. Okay, I'll apply. They have animation. I had like zero plan as, you know, 18, 19 year old child. Wow. And then it worked out. I was just like, oh my God, this is like really good and not crazy expensive. And then I graduated from there as animation focus 2D. I hated 3D at school. I, I kind of still do, <laughs> low-key. Ever since that, I've been just working as a 2D animator, uh, like t- different studios and freelancing. We're going to start off by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why. Okay, cool. I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather be saving the planet as a planeteer with Captain Planet? Or would you rather be learning about the world as one of Miss Frizzle's students from the Magic School Bus? Oh, learning about the world uh, in the school bus. <laughs> so much. I don't need that responsibility. I'm already stressed out. I feel like being one of those five people. There were five, I guess. I don't know what the numbers. Trying to save yeah. the planet is <sighs> so stressful. So stressful. I cannot do it. I would rather just be at school enjoying field trips. Easy choice. <laughs> It feels I mean, very fair. wholesome somehow, yeah. yeah. 
No responsibility. I don't want that responsibility. <laughs> but I would you any of you would rather save the planet? Uh I don't know. I, I would also kinda like I mean I kinda like just being toted around. Like Miss Frizzle will decide all of the stuff like what we're doing today and I don't have to think about that. All I have to think about is uh possibly staying alive and not getting eaten by like tardigrades or something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. I, I thought I would easily answer like, oh, yeah, Planeteer for sure. But now that you mentioned like all the field trips, I remember enjoying field trips as a kid. And that's basically all that show is, is just field trips, whether yeah. it's in, in a cytoplasm or like in the human body, like whatever it is when yeah. you're super small, super whatever. But like, damn. But then again, if you think about it, when you're going out saving the world as Planeteer, you're also going on field trips in different parts. So... <laughs> high stress <laughs> <laughs> yeah one is more more high six than the other i guess it would also depend what what power i would get from the ring if i got heart maybe i wouldn't want to be you don't want to summon and talk to animals ray <laughs> it's just always like everybody what, what was it fire lightning heart but it's it's like fi- earth fire water air i don't know something yeah, like that fire, yeah. water air and heart so that expensive yeah, monster that watched it heart heart because i always wonder what heart was is it he just gets to talk to animals I think so. He's empathetic. I have no idea. He's yeah, kind of I don't know. seemed a little bit useless. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll 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 do Miss Frizzle. I'll 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 be a student. That would that sounds nicer. Yes. Yeah. I'll go on a field trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Final question. Would you rather solve a mystery alongside Scooby Doo from Scooby Doo or Courage from Courage the Cowardly Dog? Oh, okay, this is a tough question. Uh, <laughs> Scooby-Doo is not scary. It's kind of entertaining, but yeah. they do get on my nerves with how stupid they are sometimes. <laughs> uh, but Courage is really creepy. I'm going to go with Courage because that would okay. be Courage at Cowardly Dog. That would be more interesting, even though it'd be more scary, but I feel like it has more mystery. Scooby-Doo, I know it's going to mm. end with someone just revealing the masks and it's like, oh, it was you all along. But yeah. Courage, you have no idea where this is going or if you're going to be cursed by the end of the mystery or not. <laughs> See, like, I remember watching a couple Courage episodes, but like Courage just scared me as a kid. Like, I could not watch Damn. it. <laughs> I watched it, though. <laughs> I love Courage. It didn't, you know what? Actually, it didn't even scare me. Like, my brother is the kind of person who would say something he saw in a show over and over again until it got annoying. So, like, stuff like, oh, return the slab or suffer my curse. Like, it was kind of creepy, but then, like, he would just say it over and over and it'd be like, all right, it's not scary anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He just gets it. Um, if you guys are familiar with, uh, so the, I might be saying his last name wrong, but the director of Courage or the creator of Courage, the Cowley Dog is mm. John R. Dilworth. He mm. has a YouTube channel. And if you like the creepiness of Courage, he has even way more creepy stuff on his YouTube channel. Yeah, I recommend watching it. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> I was going to ask, what do you think of the movie, the crossover with uh, Scooby-Doo and Courage that's coming out? I actually didn't know that was happening. Yeah, Wait, it really? is. It's so no. exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? Uh, the Mystery Gang and the Courage of Cowardly Dog are like having a crossover like what? movie it's where they're solving a mystery cute. together. Oh, okay. Let me. You'll uh, have to watch the trailer later. But like, like Courage <laughs> is still in like the same style, and it like somehow it, it works really well together. Oh, it's two D. Um, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was gonna be three D live action. I was like having a mini panic attack. Okay, I'm actually <laughs> excited for this it's one. It's two D. Yes, really good. it looks really good. This, I mean, partially why I asked this question because it's oh. like the movie's coming out and it's gonna be so good. Yes. I'm excited. <laughs> thank you for telling me about this. I had no idea. All right, awesome though. Oh man, 
That was great. Hopefully you had some fun playing some in-between with us, uh, Samia. Yeah, it's going to make me think about all the different choices I've made when I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, was that the right choice? <laughs> oh my God, awesome. Yes. <laughs> and if you enjoyed today's MBT questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any suggestions for future MBT questions, you can contact us on social media. So Samia, let's get into this. How did you first get your start in the animation industry? Yeah, so I've been drawing since I was like three. I have notebooks since I was a kid. I guess continuing off like after I went to San, uh, West Valley College to do my GE and then transferred to San Jose State to get the an BFA in animation illustration degree. I forgot who, but one of my teachers recommended me to a friend of his who works at Ghost Spot Studios, and mm. they were looking for an intern to the animator. He recommended me, I got interviewed, and then we both liked each other. At that time, I actually had no idea. I was like, I just need a job because I was on a student visa and I actually needed to mm. get a work visa because basically, after you graduate uh, school and you're on mm -hmm. a student visa, they give you uh, a month to find a job. And mm. if you don't find a job within a month, you have to leave the States. So it's very, very stressful for me. Like the last two years, I was like stressing out from the like the beginning. I was like, oh my God, am I going to get hired somewhere? That is insane. Only a month? Yeah. So I feel I like mean, it should be a lot more. Oh my yeah. God. It took me, for my internship at Pixar, it took me like six months before I landed like my job uh, at Warner Brothers. So like, it takes a while. Oh my God, that's insane. <laughs> I it know, more, it yeah. does. It, sh it like, should be more lenient than that. Damn. It's yeah. like the clock starts ticking. Like, to, uh, I guess to be honest, on my graduation date, I was so upset. I was so unhappy. All the pictures, I was just like, like, just angry and stressed oh, no, out. Because no. I was thinking, this is when the timer starts. I'm losing oh. days starting today. Oh. So I was like, not looking forward to graduation. But anyways, I interned with them uh, two semesters before I graduated. I started the internship. But being a small studio, I didn't think that they would sponsor me because it's really, I guess this might be helpful for international students to get a work visa, the company you're working at, they have to prove that there's no one else in the United States can do your job besides you. And that's why they're applying for this work visa. And the way mm. they do this, they would have to hire a lawyer, get like a bunch of recommendation letters from different people that you worked with saying how uh, special you are. Wow. Also prove that they tried to hire other people within the United States, but they just didn't meet what they were looking for. And then obviously make my resume look good. But then as a student, I didn't have anything on it besides students graduating in two <laughs> semesters. And then on top of that, they have to pay $6,000. I don't know if that number changed because oh. they change the rules every couple of years. But in my time, they would have to pay $6,000 to put my name in a lottery. And I have one out of three chances to be chosen for the work visa. And that's non-refundable. Wow. <gasps> so it's like awful. no pressure. <laughs> that is freaking insane. I can see like why some studios don't want to take that chance. But like, why is it so hard? Why is like the government making it so hard for like uh, I, international I no people to like get hired here? I, I don't know. So uh, being an intern there and then realizing that later on they actually wanted to hire me and sponsor me, I felt even more pressured that I needed to like be really good and worthy. Mm -hmm. But I became super unhealthy in my lifestyle. It was horrible. I was like sleeping maybe three, four hours a day and just like working there and then working at school, basically overworking myself to make me feel that I'm worthy to get the work visa. 
even mm-hmm. though like me doing this didn't really change my chances because at the end it was just a lottery but in mm-hmm. my head i was like this is what i need to do work all the time and do everything other parts from working at GhostBot that i was very very lucky to to meet this person tatiana carvin she mm-hmm. is an uh, animation director from france and she was basically like like she took me under her wing she taught me Everything I know about like Flash, Adobe Flash animation, all the tricks and stuff like they do over there in France. Mm-hmm. And then she was also a really like good friend to me at work. I-, I don't know if you guys felt that way, but first day on the job, I was so nervous. I did not go to the bathroom the whole day. I was just like, I cannot leave my desk. <laughs> I might be on the extreme side, but this is how nervous I felt. Oh, so, man. For people out there, however, how like nervous you are. I'm my you can cases. use the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, you can use the bathroom. It's okay. You have to hold it. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I used the brushroom, but I was nervous how long I was taking. Like, oh, like I gotta be fast in here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So definitely use the bathroom. Eat. Go drink water. People like no one's watching you. If they're watching you, it's not a good. Is a, a place you want to be at. That's that's mm-hmm. not a good place. Uh, Ghostbot wasn't watching me. I was just me. I guess I imagined it like a full class that I had to stay and you can't leave during class for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> You're still in that student mode, yeah. I was, yeah. I mean, because I started with them before graduating, so I was mm. like school and then here. Yeah, that was like my intro where I actually started to understand all the things that I didn't understand in school when I had one-on-one time. And focus like only animation because at San Jose State we learn everything as you guys know, mm-hmm. and and to me that was like overwhelming and I wasn't really able to really fully understand things. But yeah, that first job really helped me with with that. And then after mm-hmm. that, honestly, I was just recommended to all the different next jobs. That's amazing. I love that. And again, I'm sorry that you had to go through a lot of it. It's honestly like I think you're our first. But I'm mistaken, our first like international student that that had to deal with the visa situations. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that like I'm glad that we finally had a chance to look to touch a little light on it, just because that is a problem that and I heard all that a lot of students, international students have to kind of, you know, go through. And it's, it's unfortunate that like there's so many obstacles and hurdles that like even just getting a work visa has to come with for yeah. like for international students. Yeah. And yeah, I don't really like know what like the the solution is. It's, it's just... very complicated, and mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. given like talks to the international students we have at school to like help them sort it out because mm-hmm. every year they change the rules, and then if you like forget one paper, your application is ruined, and and you can only apply once a year. So if yeah. you not if you like miss the lottery this year or miss the deadline, you would have to leave the country and then try to apply again and come back. But mm-hmm. I guess for me. What happened is that work was about to apply for me, but then my dad applied for green card 16 years before, and we never heard back. And like within the month my work was about to apply, the American embassy in Kuwait calls my dad was like, hey, your application is being processed now. Do you still want it? So oh, wow. oh. after that many years, because I guess basically uh, they let in like certain percentage from different countries. And for uh-huh. some reason that year they were like, OK, we're going to let in more Lebanese people. So I went back, did the interview, which was like, what do you do? What's your name? Thumb, uh-huh. Fingerprints. And then it was like, cool, here's your green card. Wow. Wait, so th- like you didn't even have to do the lottery or anything? No, we like got everything ready all the way before like actually paying and submitting the application. <gasps> that is that is amazing. That is amazing. That now that's wow. now that's a 
a very lucky story. Yeah, it was really lucky. <laughs> yeah. on all your very, very lucky circumstances. So, like, even after all of this, like, interview and application and stuff, then you would have the $6,000 to enter the lottery mm-hmm. and, I guess, wait for them to tell you if you got it mm-hmm. or, like... And if you didn't, then they'd just be like, we can't hire you or? No, they'll be like, leave the country. Jeez. <laughs> Not we can't hire you. It'd be like, leave the country. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd have to like try again and hope another someone would, would hire you. Because at the time, I was actually also trying to apply for the bigger studios. Yeah. But interesting enough, they weren't into sponsoring students. Uh, like I interviewed at ILM and... Like I got the thumbs up on everything. And then when I was telling the HR, she was like, oh, so what's your visa status? And I was like, oh, I'm a student. She's like, oh, we don't sponsor like juniors. Sorry. Uh, so I didn't get it. But that's OK. I also tried Google. Google is the same. Like they would sponsor visas if you're like like a senior position, but not. Not students. I know this with smaller studios. They're the one who tend to sponsor uh, students or juniors, which is kind of interesting because it's like more yeah. money on them, but they're willing to do it. Hmm. It's that's strange. You think you would think the bigger studios would be like they have the money to sponsor whoever they want to sponsor. I don't know why they're so limited. It's like, oh, you're a junior. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like not worth their their time. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I wasn't good enough. I don't know. No, you're you're amazing, Sammy. Don't yeah. don't don't you dare say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, can you also explain kind of what you do as a senior concept artist at your current job at Phenomena? Na 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 na. Exactly. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, well, originally I was hired to work mainly on backgrounds, but I also told them that I'm interested in doing characters. So mm-hmm. I also do that. And right now at the moment, we're working on a lot of like pitches to clients. So I go to these meetings and I help with like art representations and like mm-hmm. if they have any art questions or like how would you do this like or how would what's the pipeline like so I also like talk about that part which is like the more technical part right now I'm helping lead a Roblox game project oh yeah so that's interesting because I've never played with Roblox before <laughs> but now I'm an expert in Roblox <laughs> Yeah, I have a, I have a couple cousins, like younger cousins that play that on their parents' like computer. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is. It's like a, their version of Minecraft, I would say. Yeah, I, that's I think how it started. Uh, but now because it's like open source, anyone can go in and make games. There is actually a few really good like showcases where people are pushing the like the limits of what it can do. Mm. And I think oh, that's crazy. more like professional studio like ours, we're definitely like are able to like push it and like talk with Roblox and be like, hey, can we do this now? Can you help us with that? Instead of the usual games that you you see, you can find anything you want on the Roblox game. Like one time I was like, okay, uh, what if I type Mr. Bean? Like who's gonna remember Mr. Bean from all these like young kids to make a game about it? There's at least 10 games where you're just being chased by a giant Mr. Bean. What? <laughs> That's the game, yeah. And people actually like it. I was like, okay, interesting. I'm going to be open-minded. <laughs> so uh, other things that you have also done, you've done like freelance design and animation for like a variety of different companies. What has been like the biggest learning experience from doing that freelance? I think the biggest learning experience is actually not art, but how to talk to clients and contracts. Mm-hmm. And I can go mm-hmm. on and on about that because for me, I didn't really learn about any of this during school. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing all these freelance, I was doing a lot of mistakes and learning from my mistakes because they were actually costing me money. So I was like, okay, never do this again. 
Mm. One big thing I would say, if you're doing freelance with someone, make sure there's a contract, whether they send you a contract and if they do and you feel it's missing, you can ask them to add things to it or you can write your own contract. There's a lot of examples online where you can just pull things however fits your mm. style and then make your own contract and have them sign it. This is with like smaller or like one-on-one -on -one client, but usually bigger studios, they would have contracts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only time I wouldn't work with an official signed contract is that if the person hiring me is someone that I worked with before and I mm -hmm. trust them and I know them and that I've never run into issues. Like I would have, I have previous directors who would like move to different companies and then sometimes they would re need like freelance here and there and be like, hey, are you free? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And then they just send me the file I send it back and then they send me the money. Cool. <laughs> but definitely if it's someone that you've never worked with, have a contract and then always have them say how much they're willing to pay you first. Don't give them your number because mm. a lot of times I thought I was actually asking for too much. But then I realized later that they were willing to give me more. But now that they heard my lower number they're like sure i've done that a couple times no yeah that's a that's a common mistake uh especially like you know first timers or like you know young students tend to really undersell themselves yeah also it's a good advice that, like yeah get everything on paper and make sure everything's squared away first before you do any kind of work because then you might end up working for free like i have a friend of mine who ended up like Somebody mentioned him through Instagram. Uh, he liked their art, and so like because he was like a fan of the art, it's like, oh yeah, I'll do this thing, and he never got paid for it. <sighs> that sucks. That's the worst. So, so yeah, yeah, he tried like reaching out to that person. The person never responded back, and it's like, yeah, he spent like I don't know how long, but he spent like you know hours doing some concepts, and like yeah, and again, yeah. nothing was ever written mm -hmm. on paper and stuff. So like no, no official contract was like ever written up. Yeah, and yeah. it will cost more to actually try to chase that person down. Like sometimes you just like, well, this is a learning experience. Hopefully I'll never do it again. I think that's also like, that's really good advice to ask them to make the offer first. Because like, obviously, like you guys said, students, we don't know anything about prices. Different companies price themselves differently. And like, when you exist in a vacuum of that, mm -hmm. just having them start it off is a really good idea. But also know that they will always lowball you yeah like the company offer is always lower than what they expect to pay you so you can even if you this is your very first job out of school just ask for more because they are expecting you to ask for more they've talked to millions of artists at this point that that they have like negotiated with so if you ask for more they won't be like never mind we're taking our offer back yeah yeah <laughs> just They'll be never like just can you end it yeah can you just like can you meet me here because I have like bills to pay or, you know, my I need to cover my own health insurance because I'm a freelancer and you're not, you know, giving me those kinds of benefits. You can say stuff like that mm -hmm. and that'll really mm -hmm. help you out. They they almost expect you to send a counter offer. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Ask for more. Yeah. And definitely research what's the industry paying. And that way, when they give you the offer, you can see like how much they're lowballing you and how much you want to go higher. Because sometimes if they're really lowballing me, I'm just like, okay, cool. I don't, I'm good. I don't want to work with you. And a lot of times they're like, oh, actually, we found money here. We can pay. <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool. Now I, I will, I'm willing to listen. So definitely like don't feel like you owe them anything. They are reaching out to you because they like your work. They need your work. So they're the one who actually needs you. So ask for a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure how to calculate that, I usually do uh, a day rate versus hourly rate. For, for both the day rate or hourly rate, 
whatever number you choose, like let's say you start with 40 an hour, then calculate in how much you eat that day. What's your health insurance cost for that day? What's your cost for the internet for that day? What's your cost for electricity for that day? Transportation, and then add to that number. So like, let's start, I'm just saying 40 as an example, that's not what you should start with. But whatever number you start with, add the cost that it would cost you to work for them that day. And then that will give you, get you closer to actually the, the money you're making it actually will be livable. You're not just throwing a random number. And then keep in mind, you're going to be paying taxes on this stuff later. So you can add a little bit extra. Be like, oh, this is how much taxes. And, and then you'll end up getting exactly what you wanted. Mm. Obviously, depending what client you're working with, some clients like if you're Facebook or Google, ask for crazy numbers that you never thought you can get paid for that because they don't understand what <laughs> artists do. And they'd be like, okay, here's $100 an hour because we here, don't here's, know. Here's a blank check. There you go. <laughs> yeah, basically. So definitely like gauge your clients. The bigger they are, this is where you can like test your I guess how brave you are and your comfort zone. Uh, because again, like Yuki said, like if you say an, a, like a number, they're not going to be immediately like, okay, bye. We don't want to talk to you. No, they're going to come back and be like, oh, can we do this instead? And then it's always on you to say yes or no at the end. The reason why I choose day rate versus hourly rate, actually, let me explain what a day rate is. So day rate is basically they pay you, uh, let's say $700 for the day. And Mm -hmm. supposedly you're working eight hours mm -hmm. but if you work fast you can finish early and give it to them and you still get paid seven hundred dollars hourly rate you're paying you're actually typing out how many hours you worked and they will pay you by each hour so your day could be five hours it could be 12 hours and then they will pay you according to that so depending on the client i at least for me if they're going to give me a lot of notes like a lot of back and forth I usually ask for hourly rate because they'll just have to pay me. But day rate, usually the client will ask you like, oh, can you do this last minute thing? It won't cost you anything because I'm paying you for the full day, even though it's past your eight hours already. And sometimes you can just like forget to count the hours. So one of them is like more specific. Uh, the other one, it depends. If you work fast, then you can get paid more. Mm, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like on the topic of like freelancing, uh, something that you mentioned is that why was freelancing as a character designer for the heroic quest of a valiant prince, uh, Avendo? Avendo. Wait, have you guys I've... seen it? It's only released in Europe, but it, there's episodes online. <laughs> I haven't seen uh, it. No, I haven't seen it, but I'll look it up. But yeah, Avendo. Why was that the highlight of your freelance career so far? Okay, because so <laughs> what happened is that after I quit Facebook, because I was like so tired and stressed from like doing art for other people and not really like, I guess, appreciating my own time and my own personal work, mm. I decided to quit for a year and do nothing that has to do with <laughs> working for anyone and basically just draw whatever I wanted, do whatever I wanted and just relax. So during that time, I was drawing a lot of like weird looking animals where I would just go to like parks, bars or outdoors and just sketch them. And I felt like the most myself because I wasn't really judging myself and I was just like drawing mm. and it felt really nice because I wasn't thinking like, oh, I have to do this for a character design job because someone needs to model it and it has to be this or that way. I was more just like letting it felt like when I was a kid and I used to draw and just nice. Mm hmm. Anyways, I posted that dog drawing on my Instagram and a few months later, I've actually never heard of that cartoon, but Sun Creature Studios, 
mm-hmm. reach out to me. They're like, we saw this dog doodle and we want you to freelance for us character design if you're free. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, whoa. Like that wasn't even <laughs> yeah. in my portfolio. And then they were like, yeah, we really like how like weird looking and we want that in the cartoon. So when you guys look up the cartoon, you'll get more what I'm talking about. But basically the cartoon <laughs> is about like a bunch of weird looking uh, forest animals. And they're just going on like different quests every day. But they all look really weird. So that moment it actually helped me believe that i don't need to like make myself something that i'm not just for the sake of being hired somewhere like yeah. people for were hire me for who i am rather than how who i'm trying to be mm-hmm. them appreciating that even though when i drew it it was just like at the bar with my friends it wasn't even like like i just posted it because it looked funny it made me realize <laughs> like oh i should do more of this and not try to fit a certain look because that's what everyone likes and just help me believe in myself more. And it was also my first time working with a studio in Europe. So I was like, oh, this might start my like freelance in Europe because all the freelance clients I have is in um, the US. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting to also get to meet other artists. This was online only for six months, but it was really fun. All I got to do was like draw stupid looking animals. And I was like, this is exactly what I enjoy doing. (laughs) I can't believe you hired me for that. Uh, so great. Oh, that's so cool. Like Sun Creature Studios. Like, ah, mm. so, ah, so jealous of you. That's so cool. <laughs> I think that's a really good point, though, of like trying to just do what you want and not trying to cater to something. Because, like, I remember a long time ago when I was trying to put a portfolio together for like this thing in high school, I was like trying really hard to make stuff for my portfolio. And my mom was like, your portfolio shouldn't be like stuff that you've made for it. It should just, you should have just made stuff over time. And like, then you gather it into a portfolio. Like nobody just sits down one day and is like, I'm going to make five pieces for my portfolio and put them in here. And like, and that'll be my portfolio now. No, it's like over the course of like years. I mean, hopefully not too many years because hopefully it's not stale art, but like, you know, over the course of time, you'll have created a piece here and like out of your hundreds of pieces you've made, you're like, this one was good. And uh, I liked that one there. And like, I had a lot of fun with this one. And I mean, like you said, you just, (laughs) you just doodled this dog out of nowhere in a bar and you were like, this is the most fun I've ever had. And like, I don't know, it really probably came through and was unique and beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a good point when you said that no one's expected to sit down and do a portfolio because I feel like when we're in school, Mm-hmm. This is how I was made to feel, especially when we had that time, like clock clicking, like, oh, you only have yeah. two years to graduate. You only have one year to graduate. Where is that portfolio? It has to be ready right now. And it has to be catered to like whatever industry you want to go to. Like you have to make sure you have stuff from that. And and it kind of like, at least for me, it made me lose why I like drawing in the first place. Like I know this, and I don't know, I'm not saying this specifically for San Jose State, but I mean, in general, like I feel like when you study something that you used to be your hobby or passion, you look at it from a different way, more of like, I guess a doctor looking at something. So you have no feelings for it. And yeah. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Cause like, especially with character designs, you need to have feelings and it will show in your art if you're like actually enjoying this or not. So that, took a while to get out of that mental space. Like for me, it took six years after graduation to finally be like, oh, actually, I can do what I like and people will still like it. Like I don't have to cater to them. That's really great. I think that's definitely a good mindset to get into and a good mindset to also kind of realize early on as well for those that are listening or for our audience, because 
you can sometimes get caught up with trying to make something super appealing because that's what gets a lot of likes on Instagram and stuff. But then if you're making something that's super appealing, it could also come off super generic and it'll pretty much appear like everything else that's on the Instagram feed. I mean, you won't, your own voice won't stand out. And I feel like you won't be happy deep inside because it's not like you you feel it's not you. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I kind of want to get into, because this is like another interesting space that we haven't had a chance to talk about. And then you've had a lot of experience in it is let's talk about VR and AR. Was working at Facebook the first time you started dabbling in the VR space with Quill? Or did you mess with VR on your own time before starting at Facebook? I used to go and play with VR at my friends at Double Fine. The only game I played every time I went there is Office Simulator. I don't know if you guys, are you guys familiar with it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I guess for the people who are not, basically you go in v, like the heads, like the VR, and you're in an office. The world has been taken all over by computers and you're the last human and you have to work in your office. And it's just so stupid. Like you can just make coffee for yourself, print stuff. So mundane. Nothing yeah. really happens, but I just enjoyed it. It's just super well designed. I highly recommend it. The same company recently made um, Vacation Simulator. Also really fun <laughs> trying, especially right now. Um, but yeah, that's as far as I went in VR. And then I started working at Facebook Actually, one of the people who interviewed me before I got hired was Goro Fujita. Oh, and wow. If you guys are familiar uh, with his work, yeah. he does the daily VRs. Mm-hmm. I was like so excited because I didn't even know like he was working there. But then it makes sense because Quill is mm-hmm. like there. So anyways, after he interviewed me and I got hired, we were not on the same team, but he was part of the interview process because I was being hired as an artist. So he, you know, his opinion matters. I went to introduce myself to him and... And he was like, hey, do you want to see what I'm working on? And then he just like gives me his headset and I put it in. It's like one of his quills. And it was like amazing. And then (laughs) after that, we would do more of those like short talks. Like I would either go over to his desk or he would come over and like show me more things like how to do. This was not part of my job at Facebook. My part, my job at Facebook was doing um, a UI and then background design and character like design. It had nothing to do with the the quill stuff, Mm. but yeah, that's how I started to get into it. And then I had another art director over there, Brian Lachelle. He also helped mentor me in painting in general because at school I only focused on 2D animation. Mm. So mm-hmm. that combined with the VR, I realized that, oh, I actually like 3D modeling, but only in VR and 3D animation, only in VR. <laughs> and I started to do daily illustrations because I was like so inspired by having these like two amazing artists like work next to me. And yeah, I haven't stopped since then. I actually use it in my work because sometimes our clients would require something like to be shown immediate, like short notice. And they were like, oh, but can you make it like high fidelity? So it's like as a like if you have a day or two to do like not just a full environment, but like a whole game to show them what it would look like. I cannot do that. At least for me, I'm not that quick. So I would go in VR and like do it in like six or eight hours. And then whenever you show them that, they're always like, oh, wow, this is even more impressive. And <laughs> not only it helps them visualize what it looks like, like mm-hmm. like color wise and lighting wise, but it also helps them visualize the scale and what it feels to be in the space instead mm-hmm. of just looking at 2D image you're actually in the space and like you're turning your head around and showing them like okay this is the ground this is the tree over there if you turn around the tree you see that so it gives them more an overview whether they're actually are like they're artists or they're not i find it really helpful and then 
after that, I can take screenshots and do paintovers. Again, because I wasn't trained as a viz dev artist, I never really learned perspective. I hate perspective. <laughs> so this is my sheet of just building things in VR and then taking screenshots and like using that as like a starting point. No, but I, I can totally relate to uh, just showing something like in Quill to like the client and they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's especially a, when they see in you 3D. in the headset. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like that's something like that kind of happened similarly on my production where like because we're, we're, we're comparing Blender, especially very early on. And when they were just looking at some of the demos, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But when some of the sh- some of the shots were like, you know, were blocking a blender, just having the characters move from point A to point B in a set, they were like, wow. <laughs> I was like, and we're just like, that impresses you. Not the like we have some cool drawings with nice expressions, but like a, a T-posed model moving from point A to point B. That's what's Movement. like, wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. It's great. <laughs> I, actually, that's a brings up a good point. What's important to you or what you think is important to you is not what the client usually thinks is important. So like, I guess this is my advice. If anyone's stressing about like certain details or areas of their drawings or whatever, and they have a tight deadline, don't stress too much because, I mean, not saying turn in like bad work, but sometimes they're easily impressed that you don't need to kill yourself to impress them, Mm -hmm. especially if they're not artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, especially if they're not artists. Yeah, that like that's even like even more easier. They're like, oh my god, I can't believe you did that. Like how? Oh wow, this has color. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so to kind of keep going on the topic of like VR, since then you have created and directed a VR short film in partnership with Oculus and Facebook, uh, titled Katir Tayeb. That means very delicious in Arabic. Mm. That's awesome. And then can you tell us where that story comes from and why you wanted to tell it in VR? Yeah, so this partnership also happened during the COVID year. I moved to New York four months before COVID started. Mm. And my plan was like to stay here for a year and like have friends if come visit me and go get food and like create all these memories together. Anyways, uh, yeah. COVID happened. None of this happened. <laughs> oh, <rip>. Yeah, same. <laughs> so uh. <laughs> it made me like think about like, uh, first of all, how much I miss like my friends and family. But also like most of the time that I spend with these people are just over food. Like we're always eating or snacking or something like. So mm. uh, Goro actually uh, reached out to me and he told me that uh, Oculus is looking to partner with artists. Mm. And he thinks that I would be a good one to like pitch. Mm-hmm. At that time, I had no idea what I was pitching. And I said, like, oh, my God, of course, yes, I'll do it. And then after I hang up the phone, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to pitch. And he was like, <laughs> like, when he called me, I think it was in May, and I was supposed to, like, pitch something by August. And I had zero idea. I just, like, blanked out. And the pressure of just, like, besides him asking me to do it, also is like, oh, my God, I'm going back to Facebook, but now as a partner, which means that I'm going to be paid more. And this is more, like, high pressure because I'm releasing this under my name. Anyways, all these thoughts went into my head. Right. I guess the, the thing that I learned from, from here is like, it doesn't matter how experienced or old you get, you're always going to have those panic attacks whenever anyone asks you anything. <laughs> but the, the thing is just breathe through it and then ask your friends for ideas. I had like a few pitches. And of course, the first one, they're usually kind of generic. No really meaning to it is I think I was doing where I was like trying to fit like uh, a box where I was like, oh, this is what the people would like, I think. And then one friend mentioned was like, oh, you like food. You should do something about food. And then I was like, okay, yeah, actually, I like that. And then I pitched the idea originally as like a chronological order of my food memories from childhood all the way till now. Mm. It was a lot Mm -hmm. of food. But uh, yeah, Facebook approved it and they were like, okay, go. And then 
at that time, I asked a storyboard friend of mine, Mirella Toncheva, to help me with the script and the story because I had no idea what I was doing. I just like wrote bullet points and I attached a view of my like quill stuff and I'm like, here, what I'm doing. And then they liked it. So when Mirella joined, that was intense because she is, uh, first of all, she's a really good friend of mine, but also she's really good at like asking questions to dig deep mm. and not like mm -hmm. get surface level things. So as we're working through the story and trying to figure out what the story is and not just a list of foods that I like. Mm -hmm. From her questions, I realized that I owe this uh, adventure for food to my uncle. Mm. My uncle passed away in 2018 and that was really rough because it was like sudden. It was the year he was planning to come to the US and I planned all these food places that I wanted to go with him. As we were working through this, I realized that I owe it all to my uncle. And then when that clicked, I was like, oh, my God, I want to dedicate this to him. It will be the story about like how he like introduced me to food and got me out of my comfort zone as like the, the core. Mm. And then on the outside will be like all the different friends and people I met along the way. Mm -hmm. And then we worked on the script for three months. That was the hardest part. It was a lot of like back and forth because I didn't want to say too much or or you know bore people whatever and then also like i wanted the vr visuals to be another layer to what i'm talking because it has audio of me speaking which originally i wasn't going to talk because i was so nervous but the process of me working on this is similar to the dog but this mm. was on a bigger scale because mm -hmm. in my art i usually don't do anything personal mm -hmm. i like to like separate myself because i don't know i think i'm shy combination of being shy but also it's like do people even care like to know what's deep inside this project kicked my ass i was out <laughs> there a few times actually when me and Mirella were going back and forth in the pitches mm -hmm. i would start crying it was like intense mm -hmm. i think it combined also with being here by myself in my apartment all this time Mirella was like a huge impact on making that story is actually good because i was like i got the visuals done i know how to make it look good yeah. but i I was having a hard time telling the story because it was just a lot of emotions in there and I didn't know how to like organize it. So after the script was done, of course, at that time, I was working with a Ryan, super amazing producer at Facebook, and he was like managing everything. I think if he wasn't there, I would probably never finish the film. And then I also had an amazing sound designer, Paul Gorman. One of my favorite pieces that he did was he scored VR experience for Wolf in the Walls based on the Neil Gaiman book. He helped with the sound design. So that was also a huge help. It felt nice that I had to only focus on the visual part and I had all these people supporting me. I, I feel like I've always had this menta mentality that I need to do everything on my own, but it's not good for you. It's, it's just like so like overworking and stressful. And actually, mm -hmm. when you have people around, they make your project better. Yeah. And they help you like see things that you didn't see or, or help you get thoughts. Yeah. Thoughts that you were probably even hiding from yourself. Like you don't mm -hmm. want to even hear it. And then also what's really cool about, you know, the short film that you did, it's like it's in Ottawa right now, right? It got accepted yeah. into Ottawa. That's mm -hmm. so yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's so that's so cool. It's so wild because I remember going to Ottawa. I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I could put a film in there but i don't know if that's gonna happen for anybody who doesn't know it that is the ottawa uh, international animation festival is like a really big i mean it's in the name but like it's an international festival where like all of these uh films from around the world are kind of like put together and in programs and like all the all the animation indie art snobs of the world's go and watch it and, and rate you and stuff <laughs> Yeah, this is a mini brag because like when I first got in, I like messaged Dave Chai 
our mm-hmm. teacher immediately because I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, he'll be excited. And he was like, do you know you're the third person in 20 years from our school to get into Ottawa? Wow. The first person Whoa. was himself, David Chai. The second oh. person was Marty Cooper. Oh. And then me. And I was like, what? You're joking. And he's like, yes. I'm like, oh, my God. That's, That's awesome. crazy. Yeah. But I have no idea how they're going to show it because usually they have VR stations. But now it's this year it's online. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I messaged them and they're like, oh, we're still figuring it out. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But they're like, don't worry that judges watched it in like the proper, like the correct medium. Something I kind of want to ask more further in that is that because, you know, being food, Food is a big part, not only of like, you know, of like how we connect with people, how we bond with people, but it's also a big part of our culture. In your short film, Katir Tayyip, in, in that short film, I'm assuming that there's also food from your culture. Mm-hmm. How do you feel your cultural background not only influenced that short film, but just your kind of identity as an artist? This is a good question because all until this film, I was actually was trying to like not show where I'm from or my culture. I was mm-hmm. trying to like blend in or fit in because in my head I was like oh people are not interested in this this is just mm-hmm. not what the people like and I I don't know what people in my head is but maybe I was thinking like Instagram audience and like studios so like even when I was making that film I was like always questioning myself I had really bad like art blocks during that time because I was like is this even good is this like even interesting like do people care about like other cultures and this doesn't make sense to me because i am always interested in different cultures but for some reason i assume other people are not i don't know why Mm -hmm. it's something that Mm -hmm. i need to work on but (laughs) that was the first piece where not only i like talk about like my background my childhood i also had to audio record which i was very self-conscious because when I first moved to the U.S., people used to comment on my accent. Mm-hmm. And I know I still have an accent. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be permanent in that film. It's going to be online on the virtual world forever with my accent. After I recorded and I stopped, like, I was, uh, yeah, I, I was like, there's no way around it. Like, I have to do it. But when I did it, after, yeah, the film was finished. And then I started seeing the feedback from people, whether they were, like, my family I actually had a few family members that cried at the end, which was not my intention. But because there's two scenes where I actually have my uncle and you have a meal with him. And I think that was like tough. But after seeing that and then also seeing the reaction of like online and like random strangers reaching out and saying like how much it meant for them from different cultures or backgrounds. It made me appreciate, I guess, my accent Mm. and where I'm from more because I was like, okay. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because I was able to be like, I guess, open with my feelings. I'm not an mm-hmm. open feelings person. I'm like the complete opposite. But that film, I felt like I had no choice. And that if you guys ever watch it, I sound like I'm talking to a friend, not like audio recording. Yeah, that's good. Which was definitely out of my comfort zone. But anyways, <laughs> after I doing that and realizing that it wasn't it didn't have the bad reaction that I imagined it would, I am actually now looking forward to exploring that more like in my art like whether it's like more about like meme or my culture but i'm definitely like a newbie i i don't have any advice on and do you guys have any advice on like how to be more comfortable i think no i don't okay so i don't think i have quite any advice in that sense but i do think that what you did was a very brave thing in the fact that it shouldn't have to be but like yeah when we exist in a world where we are we experience a lot of microaggressions like you know Mm -hmm. you have an interesting accent and it's like i didn't think i have an accent so now i'm thinking about it all the time i need to blend in 
I need to, you know, cater to people who will hire me so that I can keep my visa and like continue mm-hmm. to live here. You know, all of these small things, I think it feels like really added up in the narrative of like how this kind of culminated. And I think that's really interesting and true that like you needed this sort of emotional release and being like, you know, trying to blend in all of this time so that you can sort of keep it together under all these Mm -hmm. pressures, but then like being able to face yourself and face all of those things that I, I assume you had kind of boxed up for, for reasons to like protect yourself and stuff like that. And I think that's also part of the reason why, like, we don't always see like stuff from other cultures is because we've become so used to like trying to hide that part of ourselves, you know, similar to your situation. And, you know, even if you're not international or if you're here and you're a POC in, in America, I feel that at least on some level. Mm-hmm. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is like, you're right and it's hard and I don't have advice for it. But like, you know, look inside yourself. <laughs> and then something to add on, I think something you're asking for advice, but I think you're already subconsciously doing it without realizing it is that you're mentioning how you were disconnected from your art or you want dis- to disconnect from your art, but then you started just drawing things that you just enjoyed or found funny and you found people reacting to that. That's your voice. Again, our upbringing, our cultural background, who we live with, the way our parents raised us, all that kind of comes out subconsciously and like what we enjoy and what we like to depict in our art. So I feel like you, whether you realize it or not, the stuff that you enjoy drawing and the stuff that you're enjoying putting out there is always going to be subconsciously influenced by how you grew up and like your cultural background. So it might not be always super overt, but mm-hmm. it's there. And again, I think you also slowly let that out as you were making your short film. Yeah, that actually reminded me. So when I was having those intense art blocks, mm-hmm. I was talking to my therapist about it. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, like, how do you get in the zone? And I was like, I don't know. It just happens. If I'm lucky, I get in the zone. If I'm not, then I have to, like, brute force myself through the work <laughs> and hope it looks decent. But there's obviously, like, you can tell the difference. Like, mm-hmm. this was work that you actually want to do. And this is work with that you're forcing yourself. And then she was like, OK, but what about, like, when you do other things? Like, do, is there other things that you do that feels similar that you're in the zone? I, it made me think like when I go hiking, I just go walking and I don't really, I don't judge myself like how I'm walking or how fast I'm walking. I don't have like a strict schedule. Like I need to be there by this time. Like there's no like overwhelming sensory besides, you know, the nature and the like the sounds of your footsteps on like the gravel or the, the, the dirt and the trees and the birds. And then, yeah, the more I talked about it, I was like, okay, yeah, this Definitely helps me get in the zone, but I'm not going to have a Cintiq at the top of the mountain and like start drawing. <laughs> it's like, how, how can I? Because the moment the hike ends and I have to drive home, it's like I'm completely out of the zone. I'm just like angry driving or whatever. And like, yeah. oh, back to. <laughs> so she was like, okay, what are the things that get you in the zone? I remembered when I used to be a kid between the ages of like five all the way till 12. Every weekend and during summer breaks, the night before I go to bed or while I'm trying to sleep, I would make up all these stories in my head to prepare so the next morning I wake up at six in the morning wake up my sister already have all our Barbies lined up and all the (laughs) other toys so we can play those stories that I made the night before I remember during that time we had pink curtains and in Kuwait the sun is so bright so we'd always keep them closed but it would make our room like have the color pink everywhere Mm because of the the light and I remember we would play from six all the way to lunchtime and not even feel time passing and not get hungry nothing we're just like playing all the time and then if like I start a story with her and I see that it's not working I like 
just drop it and move to the next one and not judge myself for anything. And it just felt like I was floating in space. But in that time, yeah, when I was telling her that and I was like, oh, my God, this is how I can get in this zone. So now I have uh, I'll show you guys here on I have a post-it note that says it's Barbie time in pink. <laughs> and I Aww. keep it here on my desk. Because every time I get stressed out from work or I want to get in the zone, I like sit down for like a minute or two and just like close my eyes and remember what that felt like, like actually enjoying waking up early and doing all that creative work. Hmm. And then after that, I like I open my eyes and like turn to my city. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm actually excited to do this. Hmm. And it made a huge difference. I discovered this like four months ago. It was not. Yeah. During the film it was like, oh, my God, it's great. <laughs> It's really, that's really sweet. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> so if, if I'm like always interested in hearing what other people do to get in the zone, because I feel like it will also help me like figure out other ideas. As far as me, I don't think I have anything like that. <laughs> I think like it's just for me, it's like I have a bad habit of just putting things in the in the background, like a comedy or something, just something that I've seen before, because like I, I hate working in an empty void. So like even just having a conversation in the background just helps me like feel like I'm in a room with other people so I can just kind of like just do my own thing. But I would have to think about that more thinking what really puts me in the zone of like hyper fixation on like getting into what I'm doing. I think I get pretty into the zone when I know what I'm doing. So like if I'm working on a scene where I'm like, oh, I just need a tween here and here and then like that'll be done or I just need the post to be this and that. And I think for me, getting over the hurdle of like just putting something down and then like editing it is the biggest one because like I'll sit here and just be like, okay, how am I going to start this scene? And the easiest way is to just start it. Um, I've heard this before where it's way easier to edit than it is to start something. So like having writer's block or having creative block is really difficult just put something down because everybody can be an editor, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't always mm -hmm. feel like an artist, but you can always be an editor. So like, just put something down. If it sucks, then you can be like, I'm going to critique that from like, <laughs> as if it's not my own and be like, what if you did this? And, you know, kind of have a conversation with yourself that way. So sometimes that breaks me out of it. Other times I just like, like you said, I just feel in the zone. So like on days like that, I don't even need, you know, music or uh, to put yeah. something on. And that, like, those are the best days. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm killing it. Like, over here. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you just don't feel it. And I have a lot of coworkers who will have a, a chat or whatever private chat with like all of the animators or all the artists. And they'll just be like, guys, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> and it's kind of comforting to know that everybody experiences that, right? Like, everybody has a day where they're just like, you know, I'm burnt out or it's not coming. Or like everything I make is crap. So just know you're not alone. And, you know, there's lots of different techniques like uh, Samia's, Ray's, or mine that you can try out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to plug? Oh, yeah. So if you have a VR headset like Oculus Quest or Rift, uh, you can watch my film, Ktir Tayyib. The, the links for that one is posted on my social media, Instagram and my website and yeah right now i'm just sending it to festival i am planning on moving to california in three weeks so i'm <laughs> actually not working on any side projects i'm just 
trying to pack boxes and not panic. (laughs) (laughs) As we come to a close, any final advice you want to bestow to those that want to pursue a career in animation? Final advice. I don't know if people mentioned this before. Sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, you're actually just going to die earlier. And then drink water. And I always tell this myself whenever I like panic or stress is that I'm not a surgeon. No one's life depends on my artwork. It's just someone's going to be happy or upset, but they'll get over it. It'll be okay if you don't do the thing that you wanted to do or finish it on time. No one's going to die from your art. Yeah, no, that's great. And again, just sleep and water, just always a constant friendly reminder that people should do, especially those in, in college that are studying animation and they're trying to do those late nighters. Just It's just a great. Mm-hmm. I've only done one all nighter and it was horrible. I my car broke down that day. It was a, uh, a, a lot of misfortune happened in that day. But oh no. it's not worth it. Your project is not worth all nighter. Your health is more important because you want to be able to last in this industry for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. If you're destroying your body right now, like you're going to live with a lot of chronic like disease, not disease, I guess chronic pain and like issues. That's not worth it. Quick special announcement before we start closing out the podcast. UK and I have been invited to host a panel for Geek Girl Conline. Virtual admission is absolutely free. So catch us live on their Twitch channel on Saturday, November 13th at 6 p.m. PST. We'll be hosting a roundtable discussion with superstars Lee Cree, Stephanie Rizzo, and Sammy Khalaf. Title straight ahead. My first steps in the animation industry. So again, tune in Saturday, November 13th, 6 p.m. PST to hear our unedited live voices and faces. And check out the rest of Geek Girl Con line at geekgirlcon.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our interview with Samia, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Redier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.